promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. And Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this, Jesus says. Summer after my sophomore year in high school, so 1994, I know, I'm that old. Um, Back in a previous century for those younger people in the room. Uh, I moved from my dad's house to my mom's house. There were a bunch of reasons why, some, some familial stuff and, and other things like that. But the main reason was because I had a dream. I wanted to be an Olympian. That's what I wanted to be. I was a shot putter and discus thrower. And even though San Luis Obispo High School had a good team, Aurora Grande High School had an elite team. Their throwing coach there was one of the best in the world. In fact, he took one of my friends, Stephanie Brown, to the Olympics in 2008 where she won the gold medal in the discus. Okay, so uh, very good coach, and luckily my mom taught at that high school. My stepdad was assistant principal there, so I was like, okay, I'm going to move. Things are, things are going to be, be good. They're going to be great. Um, I'm going to be able to fulfill this, this particular possible future that I wanted for myself. But then there were some setbacks. Number one, friendships declined. Because I had spent all my life in San Luis Coastal School District, Sunshine Elementary, Laguna Middle School, San Luis Obispo High School. I had all these friends, right? Like from kindergarten. All these buddies that I had made. And those all declined. Why? Because I was neither in the town nor in the school anymore. I'm, I, even to this day, I'm only friends with one of those people that I had in my life, Mike Peach, and we're only friends on Facebook. We haven't talked in 20 years. Right? Uh, along with that, youth group relationships declined because I was in a different town, different school. I only saw them on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, sometimes Sunday nights. I would make my way to my dad's on, on Wednesday nights for youth group, and I'd go there on the weekends. But because I wasn't with them in town, I wasn't with them in school, what happened with those relationships? They declined. They changed. 
And so I didn't know when the parties were happening, for instance. So if there was a party, I went as my brother's plus one. Or I just crashed the party just because I felt like it. Add to that also, I was changing schools, and it wasn't just changing schools. For you to understand this, uh, San Luis Obispo High School is the Packers, and Roy Graney High School is the Vikings. <laughs> San Luis Obispo High School is the Dodgers, and Roy Graney High School is the Giants. Um, Bulls, Pistons. You know, pick, pick a sports rivalry. The Eagles don't like the Tigers, Tigers don't like the Eagles. So when I joined that track team, all the other guys on our, our throwing team, we had a big throwing team, like 30 people between boys and girls. Um, the guys didn't like me, in part because for the two years previous, I beat them all the time. <laughs> um, and they were also upset, oh, here's another guy to take a spot on varsity. So it was very hard to make friends. I would make friends with the incoming freshmen because they didn't know me. That really works well. But there was that rivalry. I was always seen as, oh, you're the San Luis Obispo kid. Um, add to that also the fact that I was very work-focused, business-focused. Let's go here. Everything was work, whether it was working at the restaurant or training. Everything was about that, plus school. I wanted to get good grades because I wanted to go to a nice school as well. Uh, and so I had very little time to try and make new friends. I tried. I went to a couple of dances and, and those sorts of things. I think I went on like two dates, dating in high school, stupid. Uh, anyways, um, those of you who are married to your high school sweetheart, Congratulations. You're like the 0.001%. Good job. Um, but I was so work-focused that, that I never really had time for any other thing. And so what comes from that are those re limited relationships. What comes from that is the fact that, for instance, I don't really have a high school reunion to go to. I graduated with 700 kids. I hardly know anybody from Roy Grandy. I'm, I'm friends with Scotty Harrigan and um, Rachel Weldon and a couple of other people, but I really have no relationships there at that school. And so I don't have that reunion. And then I didn't graduate from San Luis Obispo High School where all my friends are, so I don't have that either. And I really don't have a connection to any sort of history or, or anything like that. Although when we're at swim meets in Roy Grandy High School, they're swimming. I'll root for Burroughs, but if Roy Grandy's in a heat and Burroughs isn't, then go Eagles. Woohoo! Um, I begin there, though, because I had this particular future that I wanted, and everything else that should have been important to me became nothing. And I say that because that's where our parable actually goes. And we're going to dig into that a lot this morning, looking at these bridesmaids and how, especially the foolish bridesmaids, that was me in a way. And so let's, let's kind of dig in there. Our parable starts with one word, then. Right? That's, that's one thing that the NRSV gets right. I, I like how the, the Christian Standard Bible translates it as at that time. And when you read that, you have to go at what time, right? You have to wonder, well, what's then? Then what? Right? Well, the end. The whole chapter previous, and even into the previous chapter before that, 23 and 24, Jesus is talking about the end of time. He's talking about uh, the, the destruction of the temple. The loss of the focus of a particular religious group to say this is where God is, that's going to be taken from them. He talks about the loss of the holy city. The things that we prop up to say, well, this is the, the God stuff. Taking down the things that we put our trust in. Uh, he he uh, talks about antichrists. That one's really popular in America, right? Thanks to all the dispensationalism and everything. We like anti, well, we don't like antichrist, but we like antichrist because everyone's an antichrist, right? We just pick one, whatever political opponent that you don't like, 
somehow gets labeled with the number 666? Am I wrong? Okay, I'm on on social media. I, I see it all the time, right? The Antichrists are these things that come and try to tell you that this person or this thing, it doesn't even have to be a person, will save you. This person or this thing will give you life. This person, this thing will take away your shame, take away your guilt, take away your sin. All these things. But then what happens? You discover that it's not true. Right? And then we have persecution and tribulation. Yeah, that's always fun to talk about. Yeah. Sounds like when we have those readings in the lectionary, that's when Pastor Chris and I, we wonder if we should go, the gospel of the Lord? Question mark? Right? Uh, we, have that, we have the story, you know, we get the story of the left behind, one on a rooftop, one and left. And we always think that it's, you know, the, the Kirk Cameron left behind thing, right? right? Uh, the reality is, is that the ones that are left behind are actually the good ones. The ones that are taken are the bad ones, but that's a sermon for a different time. Um, the coming of Jesus. We like that story too, right? Yay, Jesus is here. And the whole, we neither know the day or the hour, right? Even though we try to spend all our time trying to figure that out. Like right now, most of you uh, uh, watching the news are just praying that Jesus comes back today, right? Looking, looking at everything that's going on in the world. And so he begins this parable saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And what does he compare it to? What does he compare it to? Bridesmaids, maidens, a wedding party. Anybody like wedding parties? Receptions, right? Every time I do a wedding, I always try to explain to them, the the service will take less than 30 minutes. Why? Because people don't come for the service. You come for what? The party, the dancing, all that stuff, the chicken dance, everything. That's what you're there for. You're there for the party. So that's where we're starting. The 10 maidens, the 10 bridesmaids, they go out to welcome the groom. They're waiting for the processional and the party to begin. And it's supposed to be a long party, right? Usually a week long. Woohoo! You know, be a good time. They're waiting for the, the party to be kicked off. You should read this and you should be thinking about waiting for the beginning of the new age. Because if we understand our theology around marriage from the scriptures, what are we told? A man will leave his father and mother and what? Be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. We think of that as some sort of physical thing. It's not. It's when you get your ship name, when you become a book or, or Kelvis or whatever, you know, J-Lo. Whatever the case, you get, you get brought together in this relationship where you have two people with their two worlds, and you're brought into one. That is the work of marriage, isn't it? Spouses. Whatever hurts your spouse hurts you. Or at least it should. That you, you, the day you get married, instead of it becoming just you, it becomes you and someone all the time. Is that not true? Yeah. The two becoming one. Well, here, this wedding is the two becoming one of the bridegroom coming for his bride. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Who's the bride? The church. The two becoming one. The beginning of the new age, where instead of the church being by itself, now Christ has come to be joined to his bride, and the two will become one flesh. Where you are his beloved, and he is yours. 
But then it gets, the party gets all thrown off, right? Because we have two different bridesmaids there. Got five that are foolish and five that are wise. We've got the, the frawny me. These are the sensible ones. These are the prudent ones. These are the intelligent ones. We call them wise, but it shouldn't be translated that. They're prudent. They're smart. Why? Because they bring lamps with them and they bring oil. Would you bring a flashlight without batteries? No? Would you bring a candle without matches? Probably not. You definitely wouldn't bring lamps without oil. What's the point? They're just a, they're just a paperweight. Right? They're just something there for you to carry around and look cool, but you kind of look foolish because you've got nothing to light them. Right? So they're considered the sensible ones, the smart ones, where it's like, well, we're bringing this, so it's actually going to work. Whereas the, the other group is the mori. This is the Greek word that we get moron from. These are the dumb ones, the sluggish ones, the foolish ones, the morons. Why? Because they bring lamps with no oil. They bring flashlights with no batteries. So they got their, they got their lamp, but they don't have the oil with them. Why? Well, because they don't trust the groom. They don't take him as his word. They don't believe that when he says he's coming back, he's coming. They're the ones telling the bride, I don't know why you're going through with this. He's not going to be there. This isn't going to work out. Why are you getting into this relationship? They're the ones that are just deciding to go with the flow. They're going to take on the image. They're going to put on the frock as the bridesmaid. And they'll bring the, the lamp because that's what the bride... They're going to have the bouquet of flowers. Well, we can pretend that, right? They're going, to, they're going to look the part, but they're going to sit here and go, but he's not going to show up anyways. So we'll, we'll sit out here. We'll hang out with all you, all you silly ones who think that the groom is going to come for a little while. But then we'll just go back to regular daily life because we have other things that are more important to us. They think all of it's a lie. They place their trust in other things. Going back to my story, I was the foolish bridesmaid. I was placing my trust in a future that I thought I could totally get for myself, and everything else around me failed. All of it got pushed aside. I could have way more friends today if I had not gotten sucked into that silly dream. That, that future that I thought I could have, which God over and over and over again told me this was not supposed to be the thing. Two knee injuries and an ankle injury. Plus then getting to college and throwing and discover that being five foot ten and 200 pounds going against guys who are six foot five and 350 is probably not the way to go, right? And I worry sometimes if I hand over this ideology to my children of all work and no play of putting our hopes and dreams in other things. And so you have these, these foolish bridesmaids who they don't bring the oil because they're placing their trust, they're placing their hope. They're assuming that a different future exists apart from the one that the bridegroom is going to come in and bring. Uh, the fools don't believe that Christ is going to return. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, we understand fool to mean godless. We get that from Psalm 14, right? The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. So when you read fool, especially in the Old Testament, just replace it with godless one. One who has no fear of the Lord. They, they've created gods. They've created little Jesuses about everything else but the actual Jesus who's going to come again for them. And yet with all of that, with all of that, I, I love the turn in the story because they go out and they wait. They play the part. They go with the other bridesmaids. And what happens while they're out there? They're waiting, and what happens? 
they get tired and they fall asleep. When you read that, especially in the New Testament, you know what that means? They waited so long they died. That's what it means. In the New Testament, when you read they fell asleep, it means they died. I read that here and I think about looking out at a bunch of you, wondering how many of you have been praying for something for so long that you've gotten to the point now where you think you're probably going to die before it comes true. Hmm? Young people, look around the room. There are some older saints here in this room who've been praying, longing for a particular thing to take place. And they've persevered and they've pushed through. And even now they wonder, how much longer is there to wait before death might come first? I wonder if we're prepared for that, not to see the fulfillment of whatever it is that we're praying for, or that it might come after we are gone for the sake of someone else. Well, the good news is, though, they die, but what happens? The bridegroom comes. That's actually good news, church, that your death does not preclude Christ coming. Our death cannot keep God from fulfilling his promises. He comes anyways, and the amazing thing is that it says they all are awakened, even the foolish ones, right? Even the foolish ones. And so the wise ones, they rejoice, right? They light their lamps. They're woohoo. They're playing the tambourines. They're dancing around. All these things, the foolish ones, they're sitting there trying to get their lamps lit. Things aren't going so well, right? Because they're empty. And so what do they do? They turn to the wise ones and they say what? Give me some of your oil. Let's go here. Why are they doing that? In part because they still want to play the part. They still, they don't want to be the bridesmaids that don't have their lamps lit. Because notice they're bridesmaids, but they're not bridesmaids because they have lamps. They're bridesmaids because they're bridesmaids. And so they, they're begging for some oil because they think, well, that's just what bridesmaids are supposed to do. They're supposed to have lamps with oil in them. And so like, well, give it to us or else, or else uh, it's, it's going to be a problem for us. Many of you have probably heard this parable preached and, and been told that those lamps and the oil symbolize your faith. You know, better keep your lamps lit, yeah, right? Um, and that's, in part, that's true, right? It takes some faith to go out into a field or along a road, knowing that possibly the bridegroom is going to be delayed for so long, because he's a dude, right? He's going to be delayed so long that he might come at night, and so you need your lamps. And so there's, there's part of that that you want to be prepared with, with your faith. But the problem is, is that for the foolish ones, the story becomes about the lamps, not about the bridegroom. And that's where the story takes its final turn. The fools could have just shared light with the other bride. It might have actually looked nice. The two bridesmaids walking together with one torch, one lamp. That could have worked. Robert Capon talks about it. It would have been, would have been nice, maybe. Lamp, no lamp. Lamp, no lamp. Lamp, no you know, Nice little, beautiful little parade. It could have worked. They could have walked along in that way. But no, it's 
become about the oil, it's become about the lamps, it's become about the image, it's become about uh, how things can look properly just to make sure that we can fit in without really having that faith or that love or that desire for the bridegroom to come. And so finally, the wise uh, wise maidens uh, look at the fools and say, well, go buy some. If you really think you need the oil, go buy some. Well, it's the middle of the night. I don't know, can you buy lamp oil at 7-Eleven? Did they have 7-Eleven back then? I don't think they did. It'd be kind of hard to buy some oil when all the shops are closed, right? And so they go off and they try to do it, and I can just see them going from door to door to door trying to get some oil, and everyone's like, go away. We're sleeping. Come back in the morning. Because it becomes all about the image, comes all about what it is that we can do for ourselves to try and make ourselves look good because we better we better have our lamps lit because we want Jesus to be able to go, oh, look at them. Aren't they precious? Don't they look so special? Well, church, faith is not something that we can buy, but it's something that is given to us. And it's given to us by being attached to something, right? So I have faith that this pulpit is not going to collapse underneath me, right? Because I'm assuming that someone built it well enough that it won't. Or, or faith that we have a chair or a stool, that, that the person who built it, built it in such a way that it can hold you up. Or you have faith that you are in a car going across a bridge and that architect built it strong enough to hold your car and all the other cars, right? You just trust. Your, your faith is placed in a particular thing that it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And the same thing with Christ. Our faith is placed in a person who has promised to do a, a particular thing. And the crazy thing about faith, especially the faith that we get in Christ, is it actually comes to kill you. It comes to put to death all the other faiths that you have and so many other things. It put to death that faith that I had in this particular future I wanted for myself. It took time, but it did. This faith that comes particularly to go after the old you. In Lutheranism, and Pastor Chris and I talk about this, and we'll probably talk about this till we're blue in the face. You got the old you, and you got the new you. And you have this old you. The old Adam is this foolish bridesmaid where everything is about you. It's all about your glory, your future, how you look, your image, how things are going to go for you. And then the new you is this new Adam. They're the wise virgins. It's, it's nothing about you. You don't, you don't really care about you anymore. You care about the bridegroom. That he's made a promise to you. And you cling to that promise. And with that faith that comes to put to death that old you, that old foolish bridesmaid, then the facade is destroyed. The costume is, is ripped off. Uh, there, there ends up not being other gods. There, there's no preferred future for yourself to make some sort of name for yourself. Instead, it's about a different name, a name that is given to you in your baptism and a name of this bridegroom that is going to come for you, this Jesus who loves you. It's all about making that new you out of the old you. We get that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, for instance, right? All those of you who are baptized in Christ Jesus are new creation. Right? A new creation? Because the old creation is not good enough. John 3, 3, you must be what? Born again. 
born from above, a new you. Colossians 3, 3. I use this one all the time and I always will. For you have died and you are hidden with Christ in God. Hmm? Or, maybe, or maybe this one, Galatians chapter 3. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, meaning no identity for yourself. You're found in Jesus. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. That's what comes in this faith. It gets rid of all the old you, the you that clings to this life, and it gives you new life in Jesus Christ, in him, trusting that uh, with or without lamps, with or without oil, it doesn't matter because Christ comes for you anyways. And with that, we say thanks be to God. Amen. Let us now stand together and sing our hymn of the day, number 31.